to the ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we examine the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today we'll be talking with Edda Pisano, MD. Dr. Pisano serves as the Chief Research Officer for the ACR. She is also Professor in Residence at Beth Israel Leahy Medical Center at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Pisano, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. It's nice to be speaking with you too. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, to mark the one-year anniversary of COVID-19 emerging widely in the U.S., uh, I'd, I'd love to discuss with you a few projects you've been working on recently that directly address the pandemic. Uh, for starters, uh, please tell me about the ACR COVID-19 Image Imaging Research Registry, or CIRR. So uh, as soon as COVID was obviously a huge issue for radiologists and uh, patients, <laughs> most importantly for patients, um, we decided that it would be useful for us to create a registry that would accumulate images of COVID in patients, uh, both chest x-rays, CT scans, head exam, uh, you know, brain MR, brain CT, any place where COVID affected patients, we wanted to have the images to help us learn about COVID. Um, but more, most importantly, even more importantly than the images to understand the clinical picture for those patients. So um, we have been doing registries for research at the ACR for, for decades already. Um, most of them, as you know, are for quality and safety and are done inside of uh, the, that part of the, the ACR. We've also been doing them for research uh, for many, many years. And so we decided we would start one. And uh, so CIRR or SEER was started in March of 2020, just right at the beginning of the pandemic. We started talking to people who were um, chest imagers and it became apparent that this would be a good thing for us to do. Um, so we've been collecting imaging data and, and clinical data uh, since that time and recruiting people to help build a registry and help us answer important clinical questions. Interesting. And you said the, the patients, I mean, they're obviously going to be COVID-19 patients, but do, do, do they break down along any other sorts of lines or you just take all comers kind of thing? So, you know, what's interesting about COVID in terms of its imaging is that it, it's for, especially in the chest, is it's a pneumonia essentially. And, um, but there are some unique features. And uh, for a while, there was a lot of debate of whether you could really even tell COVID versus non-COVID pneumonia, um, whether you needed a CT scan or a chest X-ray. Basically the, in the right clinical context, uh, a positive COVID test, the pneumonia is COVID unless proven otherwise, no matter what it looks like. Um, what was important, of course, when COVID first broke out, was distinguishing people who had the flu from COVID um, and other respiratory illnesses, bacterial pneumonias, et cetera. So um, there was more of a mystery at the beginning of what was going on because flu was very common um, you know, in the winter, which is when COVID first took place in the United States when we first had it. So you know, we were very interested in getting examples of people with other type diagnoses as well so that we could try to distinguish COVID pneumonia from non-COVID pneumonia. And then of course, as COVID affected other organs, we began to collect other types of images. So no, we've, we've been collecting primarily COVID, but we have also been collecting uh, images of people who have had any, a COVID test that's negative, who also have had chest imaging. And that's so when you train artificial intelligence algorithms, you have a control group. You have some people that have other kinds of illnesses. So if there's a way to distinguish COVID from non-COVID with imaging, 
the AI algorithms will be able to figure it out. Very interesting. Well, this is a, a highly collaborative, uh, highly collaborative effort uh, between not only the ACR Center for Research Innovation (CRI) uh, and the ACR Data Science Institute (DSI), uh, but also the so Society of Thoracic uh, Radiology. And I, I hope I didn't miss anyone in that in that collaborative group. Um, why and uh, why is it important to have all these stakeholders involved? Well, so um, I, you did miss some. Um, we are also working with the RSNA and the Association, American Association of Physicists in Medicine, as well as other organizations. Um, shortly after we formed um, our, our registry, the NIH announced through the National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering that they wanted to create a registry. So that bigger group is what's called MIDRIC. Um, which is, stands for the Medical Imaging Data Research Collaborative, or maybe it's Commons. I, I'm sorry, I, I, I may be messing up its name, but MIDRIC is the bigger group um, of collaborative organizations that's forming a data registry for uh, under the NIH funding. Um, so we are working, we started with our own collaborative that included the groups you mentioned, and eventually we started working with MIDRIC as well. Um, that wasn't funded till August of 2020. So, um, you know, we were, we had five months head start on getting our registry going, and uh, now we're working with them as well. So, um, and it's nice to have some federal funding. We were doing the original project just under ACR funding, and now we have funding from the federal government to, to expand the registry and work with the RSNA and the AAPM. Yeah, and actually it's funny because I was actually gonna ask you about MIDRIC a little later on. I have it as the Medical Imaging and Data Resource Center. I, okay, I hope that's, thank, you that's, for, thank you for giving me the initials. I never, I just call it MIDRIC and I don't MIDRIC. ever think about what they stand for, but that that is, that is an outgrowth. We started with SEER and then we collaborated with the others. And the whole time we started SEER, the first month or two, we were already talking to the NIBIB how we could collaborate. So it, mm. it came shortly after we started ours, um, but didn't get funded till August. So gotcha. and we are collaborating now across the boundaries. And eventually all the data that goes into MIDRIC will end up connected to clinical data through the um, N3C, which is another uh, data registry. So there's a lot of connections here. The important thing is imaging data is getting included. We're going to be building AI algorithms and all the data going into the ACR's registry, assuming we have permission to share it, we will share it with Mitrick. Interesting. Okay. Well, that, that connects a lot of dots. Thank you. Um, as I understand it, the original idea uh, behind SEER was to aggregate uh, information to serve as a public health surveillance tool, which you've already alluded to a little bit, obviously focusing on COVID-19. Um, where are we? Uh, I believe we uh, did an ACR Bulletin article on, on your efforts, and that actually was back in November. Um, so I'm interested to know where we are in that first phase or if we're beyond that phase. And maybe the, if you could talk about the longer term expansion, I know you had plans maybe to expand into other diseases. Uh, so maybe, I'm, maybe that's getting a little ahead of ourselves, but uh, just if you have any thoughts on that. So, you know, I think when we started, um, we may have un and not been as, as we didn't have as much sophistication, sophisticated understanding of what this would entail. So um, anytime you share patient records, you know, as opposed to le uh, research records, you have a more complicated pathway to getting the records into a registry. And that's because of HIPAA, the laws that protect patient confidentiality and legal issues. So we started out with the expectation that we would have a very large registry and we would get clinical and imaging data. 
we now, you know, after a year, we've done a huge amount of work. Um, we've done, you know, we've created an, a template for what images we want. We've created a template for what clinical data we want. Um, every single health system doesn't speak the same language, if you will. So we had to create a dictionary for the data and define terms the same way. We had to decide what we wanted to collect. On top of that, each institution had to sign off on the sharing of the data in a legal document. <laughs> and so believe it or not, that, is the, that has been the biggest obstacle to getting data into the registry is getting institutions to sign off on the documents. Fortunately, um, the ACR has a long history of collecting clinical data and research data, and we have a system to upload the data. Uh, we are the triad system, which is the way image data has, has been used, shared with the ACR for decade, a decade or more, is connected at, to 20,000 sites in the US and Canada and more around the world. And that is the basis for how people can upload data. What's nice about that system is that it anonymizes the data and it provides a QC process. And so the data gets into the ACR, um, the Im the, that's the imaging data. The non-imaging data has to be entered through a different system. So we've done a ton of work um, and we're on the verge of having lots of cases in the system. We finally, we have two contracts signed. We have another eight in the queue. Uh, but this is a lot of work for the lawyers because the hospitals, understandably, are very concerned about um, patient confidentiality and privacy and their own information about their patients. So, so it's just taking more time than we thought. And the same is true, by the way, of our partner sites. They're having the same issues. I mean, getting data in is one thing. Making sure it's anonymous and getting it to Midric is another thing. So we're still working very hard on this, but unfortunately, it's slow. And um, we had hoped by now we would have be able to be starting the research projects that go with this big database, but we're still dealing with the legal and ethical issues. Uh, the stated goal of the registry is to translate new evidence-based research into clinical practice. Uh, how will this work in the real world? So once we have a sufficient amount of data in the registry, uh, both SEER and MIDRIC, we can ask questions about COVID. We can ask questions like, and we are asking questions. We already have some scientists signed up to answer the questions or to ask and answer the questions. Um, we can ask questions like, are there findings that lead to worse outcomes? Combinations of demographic and imaging findings, clinical findings as well, that predispose patients to worse outcomes. Are there specific treatments that in combination with the imaging findings lead to better outcomes. Maybe those treatments should be more widely utilized, um, for example. Um, maybe which things, one of my favorite questions, which we aren't answering yet, but which we will once we have enough data in the system, is what predisposes to brain fog after COVID? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard about that. Senator yes. Cain report, reported that he was experiencing that symptom after his experience with COVID. And so, and long haulers COVID, what are the things that predispose to that? Are there treatments that seem to reduce the risk of that? Those are the kinds of things we can ask and answer and may help us deal with long-term COVID. Uh, um, let me just say, I'm sure, you know, most of the people listening to this podcast have probably heard that, um, you know, COVID is likely to recur 
that's I know people are horrified when they hear that, but it's just like the flu. It's a virus. It it's likely that every year we're going to have COVID um, from now until the rest of time <laughs> until it goes away on its own. Pandemic. And we'll have vaccines every year. We'll have to take a COVID vaccine like a flu vaccine. And so knowing what we know about COVID with this round of COVID will help us deal with future rounds of COVID, maybe be better at saving lives, maybe at having fewer deaths, not just from the vaccines, but from the appropriate treatment. So this is extremely important, I think, for the future of how COVID will be treated and how radiologists can help distinguish aggressive COVID from, or less aggressive COVID, or maybe more um, serious COVID from less serious COVID based on imaging findings. Mm. Well, that leads me to my next question because uh, you you had mentioned a, a minute or two ago about HIPAA um, and, and and you know protecting patient data is you know more important now than ever. Um, how will you ensure that that personal information of COVID nineteen patients uh, entered into SEER is kept private? So we have um, we handle uh, confidential patient data inside the ACR regularly. It's it's um, you know we we as part of what we're having sites um, sign is a, uh, as most of the sites are signing uh, a document that allows us to handle confidential patient data. And we have the high, you know, the level of security in our systems to protect that pa patient data. data. Mm -hmm. uh, for sites that don't want to share, you know, the HIPAA protected data, we can take that data too, but we have the capability and we've been doing it for years to protect the confidential patient data. And um, you know we have not had a data breach, thank goodness. And um, you know we have systems in place to protect it. But you know for sites that don't want to share that, that's fine. They can share the non-patient protect, you know, the non-HIPAA protected data. Hmm. Uh, you know that's one of the reasons why it's taking a long time to get these agreements sure. because the sites are, you know, want to check out our security systems. Um, but as I said, we've been doing this kind of work protecting patient data for a long time. So it's similar to what a hospital would have to protect its data. We have the same kind of security systems. Okay. Well, hopefully now, that, that Midric, puts minds at ease. I'm well, Midric, Midric is the public archive, you know, that's going to be visible to the public, um, anybody who wants to build an AI algorithm. So we're going to not share any HIPAA protected data with Midric. The HIPAA protected data will stay at the ACR if, if the sites are comfortable giving it to us. And we're not talking about like the patient's social security numbers or anything like that. We're talking even things like the date of the exam are considered HIPAA protected. Um, the zip code of the patient, anything that could, you know, there's specific fields that might um, be traceable back to the patient. Those are shared with us, but, you know, not the really detailed personal data. You can, you can see how that, how patient mm -hmm. date, the date of the exam is considered HIPAA protected. Sure. Um, well, you might need that, for example, mm -hmm. <laughs> because you want to identify specific, you know, you're hearing about new strains. Well, if you did the exam in March of 2020, the new strains weren't around yet. But if you did it in March of 2021, they are around. So you may be seeing manifestations of one of the new strains. And so having the data is important somewhere, not in the sure. public data, but at least in somewhere we know this is potentially, um, this was at the right time point where a new strain. And we also care about longitudinal change in the data, right? So if someone's improving, we wanna know this exam was before that exam and it belonged mm -hmm. to the same person. So mm -hmm. that's the reason to have some 
HIPAA protected data in the registry, but not in the public part of the registry. But not in the MIDRIC part. The right. That, part. It, right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That makes that makes total sense. Okay. Um, last year, well, late last year, I know you were in the process of working uh, with CMS to to try to attain uh, improvement activity credit uh, under under the merit based incentive uh, payment system or MIPS uh, for sites who submit data to the SEER. Uh, what is the status of that effort? So um, we submitted that application on behalf of all imaging registries for COVID, not just the ACRs registry. So any if the if the CMS approves it, it'll apply to other registries as well, including Midric. Um, we submitted it last June. We were hoping to get a decision in three to six months, but the decision is not forthcoming yet. Mm -hmm. Most recently, I heard that uh, we would hear by June of this year. Um, I think something happened with the turnover in the federal, you know, executive branch, um, the presidency. Yeah. That, that there just we go. Slowed down. right. It probably was the reason, but no one knows for sure. But we won't hear until June. Okay. But the good news is, if that happens, radiologists will be able to, by submitting data to, to either to any of the sources of any of the registries uh, that have imaging in them, uh, will be able to charge more. I mean, that's the idea. You'll have a surcharge on the patient costs. Um, mm because you're participating in a research registry. Well, I thought, you know, um, we're coming to, towards the conclusion of our, our really stimulating talk here. I, I was wondering if you, if we could uh, circle back to the, the, um, the question I had earlier about uh, the longer term expansion into other disease sets. I thought maybe this might be a good time to ask you that. Sure, we have quite a few research registries already uh, started. Uh, we have one, on thyroid nodules led by uh, Jenny Wong, uh, Dr. Jenny Wong at Johns Hopkins University. Um, we're actually collecting uh, clinical data and image data for thyroid nodules um, to try to help radiologists um, better distinguish cancer or aggressive thyroid cancer from non-aggressive or non-cancer lesions in the thyroid. We have a um, we have a registry, I'm not gonna be able to name them all. We have about 13 other registries, but I'll tell you about another one that comes top of mind. We have one on TAVR, which is the tra transaortic valve replacement that is, is done, um, meaning it's done percutaneously um, through, uh, you know, through a catheter. You replace the aortic valve through a catheter. We have one le led by Diana, Diana Lutmanovich at Beth Israel um, Lady, the place I work mm. uh, part time. And so um, that those two are examples. Um, that registry is trying to help figure out the you know which anatomy works well for TAVR, and um, you know there are many others. Um, we have a, a pediatric rare disease registry, um, which you know, we've just started to collect cases on achondroplasia in children. Uh, that's led by uh, Raj Krishnamurthy, who's at Nationwide Children's Hospital. So you can see we have a variety of topics, but there are 10 more. Um, I, I can't name them all right now, but um, there are lots of them. And if people are interested in these topics, they are free to contact us and become active participants in these registries. Um, we're really trying very hard to expand the number of sites we have participating. And obviously, I don't want to scare people away, but their institutions have to agree. You know, they've got to sign off on it. Um, sure. You know, it is, it, there is a legal process to get to be part of it. But that's just the first phase. And then once that's behind you, then you can participate in the registries. So um, it takes a few months. Academic institutions, private practices are also welcome, by the way. We're not 
trying to uh, just participate. We want a diverse population of, in our registries. That makes uh, the data more generalizable. So if you have only white people in your registry, it might not be generalizable to black people. If you have only women in your registry, it might not be generalizable to men. So it's really important to have a diverse population and to represent the whole US population. So that includes, by the way, urban centers, rural communities, everybody. So um, these registries are being set up you know, they have been getting set up for three or four years already. Um, and, and by the way, that's distinct from the registries that are done in quality and safety. So the mammography, the National Mammography Registry, that's a quality and safety registry. That one's um, essentially, let's, it helps sites, mammography practices, figure out if they're performing at the level they should be performing um, compared to their peers around the country. That's really about the quality of your existing practice. The registries that are being built in research are about learning new things so that eventually they can become practice. Um, so this, this is, it's really fits into the pipeline of ACR activities, you know, completely mm -hmm. from discovery, implementation, dissemination, and, 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 you know, and allow, and part of um, the way practice of radiology evolves over time and then that creates new questions that we then go back to discovery it's a it's a nice pipeline that the acr has pride in being part of all of it so that's a good uh, comprehensive explanation thank you very much for that um i just wanted to to conclude today by asking you what you think the the future of the various acr programs are related to tracking uh, the covid-19 pandemic uh maybe even too too soon to say that because as we tape this we're experiencing another spike here but um, in your mind, uh, where do you see the future going? I actually think that this is going to be a hugely important tool for um, researchers to understand what's going on. Once we have the information coming in on a regular basis of what sites are seeing, we will be creating, we will have a surveillance tool for COVID. As I mentioned earlier, COVID is going to recur. We don't expect it to just disappear. It will be a recurring problem and we will get probably be getting annual vaccinations against COVID just like the flu. And in that context, we'll be able to help sites, help you know, public health experts, help the world, help doctors, um, treating patients and diagnosing patients, um, figure out what works best. And I think that's hugely important. And I think this is the kind of thing that we in imaging, you know, with our very technical knowledge of how to amass data and how to evaluate images, we really are ideally suited to help with this kind of big, big data problem. And I'm very optimistic that the, through the Data Science Institute, the CRI, the ACR will really be on the forefront of answering all these questions. Well, that's excellent. And that gives me a lot of optimism. So thank you for that, at least. <laughs> uh, well, Dr. Pisano, it's been great speaking with you today. Um, I'm not sure if you're very active on social media or online. I just wondered if there's anywhere people can find you online if they're they're hoping to continue the conversation. So I'm on Twitter at, and my handle is um, at E.T. Pisano. Uh, it's just the first two letters of my first name and my last name. Um, that's where to find me, really. Um, I also, you know, follow a lot of people so I and retweet a lot of things. So I'm happy to spread the word once this is out, you know, this campaign explaining what's going on. I'm very happy to do that. 
Well, thank you for making yourself accessible like that. Uh, well, and for our listeners, um, if you have any ideas for future episodes, I'd like to encourage you to let us know about that on Twitter. Uh, we are at, at Radiology ACR. And I also invite you to check out all of our episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe to ACR's YouTube channel to see all of our latest episodes. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Pisano. It was great talking to you today. It was nice talking to you too. Thank you. And and thank you so much to our listeners. This has been the ACR Bulletin Podcast. We'll see you next time.